This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. everyone. Thank you for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. I'm really excited, Sarah. Several months ago, I had the incredible honor of sitting down with then Michigan Supreme Court Chief Justice Bridget Mary McCormick. Chief Justice McCormick actually notified Governor Gretchen Whitmer of her plans to retire from the bench in the fall last year and retired as of December 31st, 2022. But she was the 108th Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court and the ninth woman to serve on the court and served on the court for a decade before her retirement. And we're going to talk today about a big part of her legacy, which is increasing access to the judicial system. And then outside of politics, we're going to share a conversation with you about birthday cards, but really about communicating with one another through the mail in general. I think mail is life. And I'm really excited for you to hear this discussion, too. I heard Mail is Life in the accent of the character Football is Life yes. on Ted Lasso when he's... <laughs> Danny Rojas. Speaking of TV, y'all, we're in it. We're into the succession season over on our premium channel. Was the first episode recap 45 minutes long? It was. Is that almost as long as the actual episode of Succession? It is. Don't you dare judge us. We have so many thoughts, and they're all good. They all, we needed that all that time. We needed all that time to go all the way from how we feel about wealth and economic status to how gorgeous Naomi's earrings were. Like, we just, we needed a lot of time. Do you see what I'm saying here? Did we even cover everything? No. No, we didn't. That's how layered that show is. We're just having a good time. We're having such a good time over there, you guys. We're really solving stuff through succession. So come join us on our premium channels on both Patreon or Apple Podcast subscription and watch along, listen along, judge along, which is actually my favorite part of it, as we go through this final season of Succession. Up next, former Chief Justice Bridget Mary McCormick. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement, 
and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. are coming to you from the hotel lobby at Walt Disney World Resorts with this breaking news update. Donald Trump has been indicted. We knew we had to talk about it at least a little bit. It's hard because there's still so much we don't know. The indictment is sealed at the time of this recording, which is Monday morning. He will be arraigned tomorrow on, it's reported, more than two dozen charges. I heard 30 on Twitter from somebody that was supposedly dependable. 30 seems a lot. But then I read that it could be like every individual document is a charge. I don't know who to believe. Well, that's the problem, right? It will be public record. It just isn't yet. And this waiting time is so hard because everybody wants to do a lot of analysis in the waiting time. But Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, has said over and over, y'all don't know what we're doing over Mm -hmm. here. Hold your horses. The chapter will be written. So I'm just, I'm waiting for the documents. I think we are being more responsible than most members of the Republican Party who are rushing to his defense without all the information. How many times does he have to play y'all in this game? How many times do you have to learn? Don't defend him immediately before you have all the information. Every time, every time they do it. PR game about this is so dumb because where Democrats aren't saying much, it's being taken as like, oh, they're so panicked that Alvin Bragg has overreached. No, maybe they just are waiting to read the documents. Ivanka Trump's statement is being read as like, she doesn't care about her father. Or maybe she has a good lawyer who was like, when we're in the midst of crime, we don't talk. Uh, Let me tell you something. I think Ivanka has a very good PR person or like crisis person. I think that I could talk about this forever, and I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but Ivanka is playing a please let me out of jail game. I want to go back to my parties. I want to go back to society. I don't—I've read really great reports that she, like, understands that's no longer available to her, but she is definitely, like, crisis managing this. I will stay quiet. I will say the minimum. I mean, what—I think— if she had, from the very beginning, had just said, I love my father and stayed the heck out of it, she'd still be at the parties, maybe. I don't know. He's so offensive. Probably not. But, like, the way she's trying to manage this, what I really want to do is say, Ivanka, he's not your only problem anymore. You maybe want to talk to your husband, too. Well, I think that's right. But, I mean, it's it's silly to read into a quiet statement something negative. But that's what happens, right? Mm-hmm. The stories are like, Ivanka tells us what she really thinks about her dad. Mm-hmm. no. Ivanka has a lawyer. That's I just think Ivanka has a lawyer and is smart. Yeah, well that that statement too. Like I said, like that was crafted by a crisis person, not just good. a lawyer. Yeah. I love my father. Okay, so the part that's making me super grossed out is not just the Republicans who are defending him without all the information, which is gross and ridiculous, but also the he's thriving in this environment. He loves all the attention. Gross. Even if it's true, don't write that story, New York Times. I think that that is. 
the grossest, that he's flourishing in all of this. It's strange because from the same outlets, you'll get the story that he's thriving and the story that he's agitated and angry yeah. and concerned. And I think probably both things are true right, as much right, as we right. know about him. Both of those things are true. What I told myself this morning when I read that he has raised $5 million off of this. That actually seems low that, to me. That number is low. That's that exactly That seems low to me. Okay, good. I'm so glad that that's your instant. When you said that, I was like, hmm, that seems low. Because, I mean, around January 6th in the election, he was raising like $20 million a day or something bananas. Yeah, that's just what I keep thinking. What would that number have been five years ago? Yeah. Because there is always going to be a segment of the population that is down for the state is beating up on you. The government's taking your rights. They're coming for you, so they're coming for me. Like, that's always going to have play. But I think the play has shrunk. Yeah, for sure. Significantly. And that's what I don't understand what they're defending. You want a presidential candidate under criminal investigation and indictment? I don't understand, guys. Do you want to win? I really don't. I don't understand. I know three things. There's the political thing that you just articulated. The second thing is it's not Congress's business. This is not a federal case. Mm -hmm. So whether they think this district attorney overreached or not is not their problem. That's a New York problem. Yeah. And then— They're trying to make it their problem. They're trying to make it their problem. And and again, like, if your story is government overreach— and you're meeting it with more government overreach. That seems weird to me. And thirdly, this whole like tag of if they can come for him, they can come for anybody. Well, like I that's the point of don't world have war. hotels that I could ha- inflate their value. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a fixer who makes payments to people. I mean, it's just like I, I don't understand why that has resonance, what, especially what part of that the is relatable that are alleged you know, to be in the indictment here. Well, yeah. I mean, what part of that is relatable? And also, again, that is the rule of law. Yes. If they can come for him, they can come for you. They can come for everybody because that's how the law works. It applies to everybody. (laughs) It is interesting. I don't know what's going to happen in New York City on Tuesday when he actually turns himself over, which I am delighted that he is. I am too, because I think that could have provoked a real crisis. Yeah. What happens if he doesn't? Yeah. I mean, we have criminals that run from the law. Right. I mean, that is a thing. And he certainly has the network of resources to do that. And I do want to say that Donald Trump is innocent until proven guilty. I thought Absolutely. that was yeah. I thought that was interesting that Nancy Pelosi's where she was like he proves his innocence and I'm like, well that's not really true. That's yeah. not how this works. They have to prove their case. Um, and, and it could be a very hard case to prove, Yep. you know. I think it's been interesting too to see the stories this morning are like, well this is bad, but like there are a lot of things happening in the other cases that are pretty bad too. Yeah. That they have indications from security footage of Mar-a-Lago related to the documents case that he's getting these rulings that lawyers and others have to testify in other cases. Like, it is a constrictive moment, I would think, for him. Yeah. I mean, there's no way, even if you like attention, to feel good about being digitally fingerprinted and arraigned. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's... It's shameful. You are a former president of the United States. You took the oath of office, and here you are getting booked. Yeah. I mean, and I wish it had happened to Richard Nixon. I think it should have. Um, I think that was a mistake. And I think this moment would be different. I'm not sure we would have gotten a Donald Trump if Richard Nixon had actually been held responsible for his crimes. But Donald Trump certainly should be. I have no idea what that choose-your-own-adventure of history looks like. But I will say, I think this is both really important and really terrible. And both of those things are true at the same time. Like, I don't feel giddy about this in any way, but I do feel good yeah. that there's going to be permission now, I think, for others to to bring charges where yeah. charges need to be brought. And we're, we're facing this difficult period instead of blowing past it. And 
And I think it's going to be pretty awful. Like, I think it's going to make some of our conversations terrible. I think it will provoke individuals to do weird and sometimes dangerous things. I hate it for all the people who are involved in this, who are going to get a a continued barrage of death threats. But I think the only way around is through this time. Well, and we're not done. Jack Smith's out, out there working hard. Yeah, I think I think that's right, that it'll be good and terrible. And I'm glad that Alvin Bragg just moved forward. I really like the point that David French made on Ezra Klein's podcast that prosecutors should not make political calculations. Like, you do what's right under the law. It doesn't matter what the politics are. And the politics will be both good and bad. And I'm glad that Alvin Bragg just said, I have a case and I'm going to make it. And I think that it, all the multiple other people out there in the similar position to him in Georgia and Jack Smith— Uh, should make similar calculations. Yes, this will be hard, but if it is the right thing to do, it is the right thing to do. The right thing to do is often hard. Well, and we got hard in America no matter what. Got hard all over the world no matter what. You know, the other, the headlines, the storms, the tornadoes. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever you read today, there is an element of hard in it. Yeah. And this hard with Trump is a lot of hard of of uniquely American making. So this is one thing we can try to clean up, and we should. (laughs) Well, I think it's it's interesting that you say it's uniquely American making because him being— on trial like this feels like we're we're joining a club. France, Israel, you know what I mean? <laughs> it feels more like we're like we're ending this period of uniqueness and we're entering the other parts of the most of other parts of the world where if a former leader breaks the law because power is seductive and sometimes you know tempts them to break the law, they're held responsible. All right, so that ends this uh, breaking news update. We'll go back to your regularly scheduled pantsuit politics, and we will be back in your ears next week when we return from vacation. Sarah, I was really excited to talk with Justice McCormick because she is speaking to my heart about the fact that the legal system is opaque to most people. Mm -hmm. It is a full third of our government. And most people do not understand what happens there, cannot afford to participate in it. And if they do have to participate in it, walk away believing it was one of the most excruciating experiences of their lives. And it just shouldn't be that way. Yeah, it's like quicksand. Like you don't understand it. And then once you're in it, it's a trap. And then you fight it and that makes it worse. And then you sink. It's really, it's not great. It's not, it's not a uh, user-friendly experience, as they say in the tech world. It's not. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about covering Supreme Court cases on More to Say is that these cases belong to all of us. The law is ours, and it is one of the most important institutions that we have in a democracy. And so I love how much of her career Chief Justice McCormick has focused on not saying, how do we protect all of us who went to law school and our special skills and knowledge? But instead, how do we open this up to more people and really strengthen our democracy in doing so? Chief Justice McCormick, it is an honor to have you here on Fancy Politics. I'm really thrilled to be talking with you. Most of our listeners know that I am a former lawyer and I have such a passion for the court system and the, the justice system in general. So it's it's really exciting for me to talk to you. You have spent your career advocating for the law to serve everyone. We're talking in a time when the public understanding and really faith in the justice system feels kind of tenuous. So I'd love to start with the understanding piece before we get to the faith piece. The justice system also feels very opaque to a lot of people. So can you talk about what the Michigan State Supreme Court is responsible for and just help people understand the universe that you oversee right now? 
the judiciary does so much and most people don't have much of a grasp on it. I think most people are familiar with the decision-making function that all courts have, including the Michigan Supreme Court. We're the court of last resort and we um, decide cases that, that, that affect people across the state. But in addition to our decision-making function, um, the state Supreme Court in Michigan, like many states or most states, I should say, has constitutional administrative oversight of all of the courts of the state. So Michigan state courts, there are 242 trial courts, close to 600 judges that between them adjudicate over 3 million cases every year. Um, And so in that constitutional oversight role, the justices of the Michigan Supreme Court, together with a talented team of administrators, don't don't get me wrong, we have a lot of a lot of excellent people working to help us. We try and figure out how to um, make sure that the kind of justice, the quality of justice um, that people get in those local courts is as good as possible. Most cases are adjudicated in state courts, not federal courts, even though federal courts is what we hear about most of the time. Um, And when people have to go to court, it's usually not because something great has happened. It's usually the opposite. And often they're navigating those problems, those justice problems without lawyers. So the kinds of support we can give to people who have to navigate serious problems, often without the benefit of a lawyer, is to me the most important work that that we do. Well, I know in my home state of Kentucky, funding the justice system as a system that is supposed to shepherd those millions of cases through is is a huge problem. Do you have that challenge in Michigan as well, people understanding everything the court does and they're therefore wanting to allocate enough resources for you to do it well? Funding is an ongoing issue in in lots of ways. In many states, Michigan included, our trial courts are partially funded by the state, but partially funded by their local funding unit. And different local funding units have different priorities um, and different understandings of what exactly courts are doing and the the services they can they can play for people in in the local community. I happen to be a believer that the state should fully fund the court system and we shouldn't leave it to local jurisdictions to kind of fight for the, you know, compete and fight for the uh, dollars that are um, already too short um, across many different services. And I also think it's undermines public confidence in the court system when we fund the court system on the backs of the people we serve. Um, So robustly funding courts in a central way, do a lot to increase public confidence, but ongoing issue, court funding. When you say on the backs of people we serve, you mean things like court fees. Can you talk more about that? Fines and fees end up being a big driver of court funding in some local jurisdictions. And and you'll see deep disparities in how in in how one jurisdiction assesses fines and fees um, as compared to another one. And I won't talk too much about it because we have a case pending in the Michigan Supreme Court on this to- on this very topic. But the, the judges in Michigan who sit in the district courts, which is the trial court where traffic cases are heard and the lower dollar civil cases are heard, have submitted affidavits that they they feel like it puts them in a conflicted position to both have to adjudicate responsibility. And then if somebody is responsible, assess fines and fees that end up funding the court system itself. So it's a really complicated issue and one that really can cost us in terms of public confidence. You were talking about 
how many people navigate the system without a lawyer. And I would love to spend some time there. Fines and fees might be a good way to get there. One of the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had was just watching a state judge go through a docket one morning and seeing the cascading effects of folks who started in the system because of a traffic violation, missed a court date, start accruing fines, and just it just piles up because they didn't have the skill to deal with that first violation. And I'm sure that you see that on steroids all the time. I'd love to hear you talk about how that impacts access, the language of the law, the structure of it, and and that maze of fines and fees as you as you fail in the system. Yeah, it really it really traps people and ends up causing much bigger problems than had we just figured out how to give them enough information at the front end to be able to navigate their first justice problem. In lots of states, Michigan no longer, thanks to some really awesome front-end criminal legal system reform we put in place a couple of years ago. But in many states, when someone fails to pay a fine or a fee on time, their driver's license is automatically suspended. And then once their driver's license is suspended, and they may not even know it, it just happens automatically by operation of law. And then they're driving the kids to school one day and they get pulled over and they are now driving on a suspended license, an offense for which jail time is mandatory. So that at this point, they have to get taken to the county jail where now they have a new offense and probably a bond and a complicated process to go about getting their license back. And 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 let me just make very clear, sometimes that underlying that first level finder fee that they didn't pay on time, they may have missed the notice. They may have thought they had more time and were you know, going to pay on a payment plan, or they may not have even known about it to begin with. It doesn't necessarily have to have had anything to do with driving safety. It can be failure to have paid child support or some other civil infraction that has nothing to do with driving safety. And yet suspending driver's licenses was the default way we handled that for a long time. And so it's it's not hard to see how somebody can become seriously behind on financial obligations just because they misunderstood the 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 first ask of them. If you're if you're a person who has to navigate a justice problem and it's not a uh, misdemeanor or a felony for which the court must assign you a lawyer at least before you're adjudicated responsible that actually can change after you've been sentenced. Um, There are lots of people navigating court dockets on post-conviction fines and fees matters alone, again, without lawyers. Um, But if you're trying to navigate a legal matter without a lawyer, it's really hard. You know, we, we, we send people to law school to teach them a completely different language. And that's the language we speak in courts. And we've erected all these rules that are written in this foreign language that makes it really difficult even for very bright people to navigate. So it's it, it's not an accessible system to most people. And most people can't afford lawyers. I mean, the, 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 the evidence of the number of our neighbors that have to navigate justice problems without lawyers is overwhelming. You know, it's probably higher than 90% of your neighbors have to navigate just their own justice problems without lawyers. And that means an eviction case, a family law case, a debt collection case, you name it, they're left to try and figure it out on their own. And if they fail, they are likely going to get behind in um, owing fines and fees, which um, will only complicate things further. I have really appreciated 
hearing you talk about this as a market failure, that the legal industry is a market failure. Can you kind of flesh out what you mean by that? We produce a lot of lawyers every year in this country. And honestly, there are a lot of lawyers graduating from law schools kind of outside of the top 14 law schools that try and struggle to figure out how to make ends meet, frankly, Um, even though they've borrowed, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this degree. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the great majority of people who have justice problems, legal problems, for which they simply can't afford to pay a lawyer's rate. Usually when you have a market failure like that, there would be some you know, innovative solutions to, fig- to, to figure out how to close this enormous gap. But for lots of structural reasons, we just keep moving forward, letting that gap only grow. And we're not really able to innovate to kind of figure out how to match supply and demand. What would innovation look like? I've heard you talk about having more paraprofessionals in the process. This feels like an easy part of what innovation might look like. When you have a a health issue, it doesn't always require a surgeon, right? I mean, I I recently had a a little bit of spine surgery um, and I needed the surgeon for the actual surgery. But the three appointments before that and the two appointments after it, I never saw the surgeon. And frankly, I didn't need to see the surgeon. I needed, um, in one case, you know, the technician who did the chest x-ray. And in another case, I needed the the nurse practitioner who really knew more about managing the pain than probably the surgeon did because she was the one who had the interactions with, you know, patient after patient after patient. And we have this, we're perfectly comfortable with a wide array of professionals in the healthcare industry to help us with our with our health problems. Um, and yet in the legal system, apparently you need a full grown lawyer for every single legal question and anything short of that, the state bars are hesitant to allow. Um, makes no sense to me at all. I mean, I don't, why we don't have legal nurse practitioners and legal physicians assistants who can help a lot of people with their justice problems is beyond me. I mean, it it can make you a little cynical. Well, especially if you've ever been in a law firm. I mean, I practiced for six years, and when I left, I was a pretty decent lawyer, but there were paralegals who were still much better than I was at every aspect of the job. You know, they, they vastly outflanked me in their experience, and it just seemed bizarre that my signature carried a weight that theirs didn't. And you could imagine those folks providing, you know, real value to an awful lot of people with justice problems. Um, and they didn't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars getting a law degree, right? So there's there's a there are a, a lot of ways in which we could be smarter about the different kinds of professionals we could license. Other countries do this, by the way. They, they license people after um, different levels of education. You can get a, a one-year degree in law or a three-year degree in law or a five-year degree in law, which each of which might um, allow you to practice in in different courts or on different matters, but it diversifies the market in a way that better meets demand. We'll hear more from Beth and Justice McCormick after this break. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. 
You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. What are other innovations that you'd like to see explored? So I think we are on the verge of seeing real growth in the ways in which technology can democratize law. You know, the the legal tech is kind of hot, but I think it's mostly hot in the parts of the law where people can already pay a lot of money for lawyers. Um, People who can already pay a lot of money for lawyers are also interested in the legal tech solutions that will make the legal services they buy smarter and better. And and the lawyers who work in those areas are also interested in those products if it makes their work better and smarter and therefore more marketable. But we need real breakthroughs in legal tech for the other 92%, right? The 92% who can't afford lawyers at all. And obviously, if we want to, we could build legal tech solutions for lots of areas. And there are some entrepreneurs working on that. 
but it would take uh, a real commitment to do it and also a commitment to actually build court system and justice system data that was reliable enough um, that tech solutions could make some sense of it. Um, court, court data is often it, not great. Um, it's, it's, it's worse in some states than others. Kentucky actually has a unified court system. So Kentucky's data is better than a lot of other places. Um, but in a place like Michigan, where we have 242 trial courts, we have 20 different case management systems. It might be down to 18. We keep trying to pull them onto one system because unless you're all on one system, it's really hard to aggregate your data and to really be able to understand what's happening across any particular question. Um, so it would it would take a it would take some real will to be able to build the foundation upon which really breakthrough solutions could live. You know, we don't we haven't seen our legal system Uber or Netflix, um, and it, and and we might not until we build the data foundation to be able to allow it. And you talked about structural barriers. State bar associations are a huge part of that. What are some other barriers to change here? I mean, it it sounds bananas in the United States to say, here is a market, 92% of which is underserved or not served at all, and no one is trying to get that part of the market. So what what's the obstacle? Well, I think the, you know, one important obstacle is 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 the the last thing I mentioned, which is government data systems are not great. And so court data is not great, which makes it very hard to build tech solutions, at least, that can really scale, right? It's really, it, it becomes very difficult to scale, even within a state, much less across state lines. I think bar federalism um, is a barrier. The fact that Every state has its own process for licensing lawyers, and there, and then you know, it's it, it, and 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 every state is pretty sure that it, it is so special. You have to learn mm-hmm. its state, you know, rules and laws to be able to navigate it. We have seen the the profession itself be a barrier. There is there is a concern that somehow if we allow either legal tech to start providing solutions or navigators or some some someone who someone other than a lawyer to provide solutions that lawyers fees will dry up and i think it's also the case that legal education right now is a barrier um legal education hasn't changed in a very long time i mean i courts haven't changed in three industrial revolutions and the only thing as stubborn as courts about change is education. So legal education is kind of like the king of all uh, resist change resistors. So I, you know, I, I think we need to start educating our students who are interested in law about these problems and, 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 and think a little differently about how we are educating um, students who want to learn about justice and law. I think there's something about the education piece that just wires you. The way I've said it to people before about why I don't practice anymore is like I wanted to solve problems and I felt like the job was just naming them and naming what problems could follow the problems that that you just have to develop this extremely negative change averse orientation <laughs> to practice law well, especially in the context of a big firm where you're always talking about multi-million dollar lawsuits and all of the risks that attach to those for clients. And so innovation starts to feel 
impossible, even within the context of just a firm saying, what if we moved our 1230 lunch to one is extremely difficult. If you blow that out to the whole system, it's pretty daunting. It's true. I mean, it's why I found the pandemic, although obviously incredibly difficult in so many ways, it was also a tremendous opportunity because we, we we all of a sudden had this opportunity to have to be able to try a bunch of things quickly and they didn't all work and that was great too because you learned from the ones that didn't work and we we actually not only got to but had to behave like entrepreneurs and it's something that law school beats out of us um and if law school hasn't completely beaten it out of you practice usually does and all of a sudden we 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 all got to got to do that. And it was it was wonderful. We saw some innovation that we hadn't hadn't seen in my entire career. I want to just close by saying this is, you know, we're talking about a third of our government that is supposed to be democratically available and overseen. And so much of what we've discussed is really out of reach for anyone who doesn't ever go to law school. Are there things that citizens who aren't interested in the legal profession can do to help spur innovation in this area and and make the court system more available to people? It's a great question. And I think the answer is definitely yes, even if I'm not exactly sure what those things are. But we've seen a lot of change in the criminal legal system in the the last few years. And I think a lot of it is because the public got interested in what was really going on in our criminal justice system. And, and once the public got interested and started showing up at, at public hearings and task force meetings and, and wanting to be heard about how it wanted its criminal legal system to behave, you saw changes, bipartisan changes, changes in red states and blue states and you name it. Um, and the civil legal system, I think, could could head in that same direction. I mean, there's no reason why people should accept that the only way you can defend against an eviction action is if you can afford to pay somebody who went to law school. I mean, you don't, we, we don't, imagine if we said you can enroll your kid in public school, but you're going to have to hire this person who can actually help explain the application and fill out the application for you. And, and if you can afford to hire that person, then your kid can go to public school. Or imagine if we said, yeah, you can drive on that public highway, but only if you can afford to hire this driver who will take you in her car on that public highway. It's insane. It's your government. You can demand that it makes sense and be available to you and understandable to you. And I do think that the public complaining is an important part of solutions. Chief Justice McCormick, thank you so much for your time and for being willing to say a lot of this out loud. A lot of what you've said today sounds very common sense and is extremely controversial. And so I'm I'm really grateful for your willingness to talk about this. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to former Chief Justice McCormick for spending time with me and for sharing her thoughts with all of us. Up next, I'm going to talk about birthday cards. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. 
and we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We always end the show talking about what's on our minds outside of politics. Sarah, you're sending birthday cards out. Tell me how it's going. Yeah, it was one of my New Year's resolutions. I'd been doing it sort of intermittently last year because I just bought on Amazon like a big old giant thing of birthday cards. Like they're very generic. They're not exciting cards. But I bought like a hundred of them. And it makes it so easy when I sit down to schedule my week. I look at the birthdays coming up. Like, I do this on Friday, so I look at the next week. Who has a birthday coming up? And I just grab some of my cards. I always have stamps on hand and just write a little birthday card. People love it. They love getting a birthday card in the mail. I've had all my friends, like, text me. They're so delighted. I get a lot of, how are you so on top of things? And I'm like, it's so easy. You just buy 100 birthday cards at a time from Amazon, and then you're ready. Also, at the end of the week, I try to look back and ask myself, who was a hero for me this week? Like, who really helped me out? Who came to my rescue? 
um, and write a thank you note. And it's just such a nice ritual at the end of the week. And I love putting things in the mail. I love knowing the people I love are getting things in the mail. It's sort of a exercise in blessings, which is my word this year. I think mail is such a blessing. And I've just been really enjoying it. I've been working on sending more cards this year. Also, I bought some stationery that is just kind of generic, all-purpose stationery that I really like. And so I've been sending more mail. Here is a problem that I'm running into. My friend Anna is a master at sending cards in the mail. You open her cards, and she has written something that is personable and warm and perfect for the occasion without being pretentious at all. It's just a masterpiece, and I stand in awe of it. And here's what I've realized. I have been typing my thoughts for so long that I do not write as well with a pen. I'm talking about the composure of the words. I don't write as well with a pen as I do through my fingertips. And it is really bothering me. Do you journal? No. Oh. I talk to you. Ha! You know I love a journal. But I, I agree. And sometimes I'll type out, if I'm really struggling with what to say, I'll just type it out in a note and then transcribe it. Okay. Maybe I'll try that. I'm just going to yeah. start no, typing I agree. it and then transcribing it. It's a really weird Typing through your fingertips. That's how situation. I think, too. Yeah. No, I totally, totally agree. Mail is a delight. That's just the truth of it. And we hope that you have some delight in your day today, whether it is through the mail or just by spending time with us here. It delights us that you give us some of your listening time. We'll be back in your ears on Friday. Until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Nicole Berkless. Paula Bremer. And Tim Miller.